Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, starting at verse 26 and going through verse 34. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? Is it like? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Small things can make a big difference. I learned that this week at the disappearance of our very last of five Pampered Chef plastic scrapers. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. I did not know it. Matt and I have been married nearly 25 years this coming July 21st. I had no idea how important this little tool was to him. Now, Pampered Chef isn't the only company that makes them anymore, but I feel like I should get credit from them today. It's this little square thing about this big. And it's made up of super strong plastic that tapers at all the edges to almost a razor sharpness, as razor sharp as plastic can be. And for my husband, this tiny piece of plastic is essential to his everyday life. It works to remove just about anything from a smooth surface. It makes cleaning up a horrible microwave accident, which I never have, but he seems to, a breeze. It removes cemented lasagna from pans, and yes, that one is my fault. It helps scrape sticky back of the fridge spills up. It helps with removing sticky stains from laundry items, and it even removes dried paint dribbles from places that they definitely do not belong. And so this week, when we lost our last one, Matt tore up the house looking for it. It was a three-day adventure. (laughs) Every day, he began by asking me, where did you put 
the scraper. Now, I'm going to tell you the good news. He found it eventually. I don't know where. But I thank God that the crisis was averted. Because small things can change life in big ways. Today's scripture lesson includes two parables about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told parables to help his followers understand his message better. And in the second parable, the one about the mustard seed, Jesus uses the mustard seed, which at the time was a common reference point. You see, everyone would have understood exactly how small a mustard seed was. As a matter of fact, it was common to refer to small and insignificant things as mustard seeds. But when Jesus shared with his disciples, he drew their attention to this thing with small beginnings, this tiny mustard seed, and then he brought to their attention the giant bush that when nurtured, this seed becomes A thing of such small beginnings grows into something that protects, provides food and shelter, and spreads out for so many to find shade in. See, at the time, Jesus' disciples were few in comparison to the general population of the known world. They were few even in comparison to the Jewish population at the time. And in telling this parable, Jesus is calling to his disciples' attention that even though there were few of them, even though their beginning may have seemed small and insignificant, that their impact would grow and their number would grow as they interacted with people around them. Jesus gave his disciples a vision for what the future could and would look like as they continued to travel, preach, teach, and heal. The parable of the mustard seed demonstrates how the smallest of things can grow into the biggest, like the mustard seed being so small and nearly unnoticed. But when it's planted... And nurtured, it grows into something great and magnificent. Something everyone can see. You see, the tiniest of things can grow to have a great impact. There are so many examples of how smallest ideas can have large impact. In our past, think about the idea of the light bulb. And how it affected the world. Or the polio vaccine. Now, if we think about what's happening in our present time, we can think about Google. We can think about Apple. Or if you're like me, you can think about KFC. What about that everyday fried chicken recipe? All have rather humble beginnings. But I read about one this week that I had never heard about, and it kind of made sense to me as I spent every day, every evening, dancing 
with the kids at Vacation Bible School. I found out this week how Arthur Murray got his start. Do you all know who Arthur Murray is? And, and you all know that when you say Arthur Murray, you think of dance, right? Arthur Murray got his start by giving dance lessons to a baroness. And the baroness loved what she had learned so much in the way that he taught that she started to send her friends and contacts and family members to him for lessons. And within a matter of a very short time, Arthur Murray was well overworked. And so he began to gather his students and train them so that they could be teachers. And he sent them out. And the cool part about Arthur Murray's business is that the startup was like totally inexpensive because all he had to do was invest the time in teaching people to dance and then they went to people's homes so he didn't have all that overhead cost now Arthur Murray dance is a household name when it comes to learning how to dance Jesus' 12 disciples followed him as he danced around the Sea of Galilee, teaching and preaching and healing. And after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, the church, or those who had continued to follow Christ, continued to grow as Jesus' followers continued to follow his example of going out to places that didn't know him, and to preach, and to teach, and to heal. Twelve people have grown to nearly one-third of the world's population. 2.3 billion people continue to follow Christ's example. Nearly one-third of the world's population finds its home, its shelter, its food in Christ's church. Now this is good news. This is kingdom growth. This is something that we want to be a part of. And as followers of Christ, we know that we've been called to be a part of. But how do we locate ourselves, our role, in these parables that Jesus tells, these stories that liken the kingdom of God to once familiar things? I'd like to go back to the first parable. We oftentimes, we're very familiar with the mustard seed parable. But we don't pay so much attention to that first parable. Sometimes we look at it as almost a preamble to the parable of the mustard seed. But let's read Mark 26, Mark 4, 26 through 29. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. 
As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. BK, I call that before kids. Matt and I used to have the most fantastic vegetable garden and flowers. And I was a teacher, so I had the summers off so I could tend this amazing garden. Now, the best part of the garden for me was the tomatoes because I love tomatoes. Every kind of tomato, there is no bad tomato. Sometimes we planted 50 tomato plants. I want you to just do the math (laughs) of what the harvest would be like. But I started to find that purchasing tomato plants was becoming expensive. So one year, we decided that instead of purchasing all of our plants, we would grow them from seed to save money. Might I add that this actually turned out to be much more expensive. Because we purchased seed starter packs and we built a shelving unit and We put hangers in our shelving unit and we bought grow lights and we put chains on it so that we could adjust how far from the light and heat the plants would be. And we placed this in our two-bedroom home with one bathroom in the hallway (laughs) because really that's the only place we had left. And I was so excited to be able to watch these seeds sprout and push through the earth. So I researched and I prepared as best as I could the proper amounts of light and darkness, the dampness of the soil, the temperature of the house. And every morning as I got up and every night as I went to bed, and frankly, every time I walked down the hallway... I watched my little seed cups for growth. And no matter how hard I tried to see it happen, I never actually got to see a shoot push up through the soil. I only got to see it after it pushed through. Just reminded me, a watched pot never boils. A watched seed never grows. And no matter how hard I watched, I wasn't able to see the root system reach for moisture. I only knew that it did when I picked the small plants out of the seed cups and planted them in bigger pots. From seedlings, I planned the way the garden was planted. Matt and I prepared the outdoor soil and the beds, and I planted the seedlings, and we watered the plants. We kept the weeds away, and when the plants were mature, we harvested a ridiculous crop. My hands were pruny from handling tomatoes. And daily, as I pinched the sucker shoots from the crooks of the tomato branches, I was totally amazed and in awe of the mystery of the growth that always happened somehow when I wasn't watching. Though I participated in the process by tending 
to the environment of the plants, the actual growth still remained a mystery to me. Now, if you've ever planted a seed or tended a garden, it's easy to relate to Jesus' parable. We can easily locate ourselves in the role of the farmer, right? But when we read the parable, we recognize that the parable isn't actually about the farmer at all. It's about the farmer's garden. The parable is about the kingdom of God. The farmer, us, we work alongside of the kingdom as it grows. As farmers, we strive to facilitate conditions to help the kingdom grow, but the actual growth of the kingdom is still a mystery to us. The growth of the kingdom of God is a mystery of God. Now, I was reading articles. I was going back doing some research for the topic this week. And about a year ago in Forbes magazine, there was this article in which the author Roger Trapp asserted that the influence of others is the greatest motivator of people. And in this article, he was talking about how the United Kingdom's tax authorities were able to collect 560,000 of the 630,000 pounds of debt targeted for recovery by Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. 560 of 630. That's an 86% clearance rate. That's over the 57% clearance rate of the year before. How did they do it? Well, they made small changes in the letters that went out to the people using social proof theory or crowd theory. And the crowd theory goes something like this. People's behavior is largely shaped by what is done by those around them, particularly those with whom they strongly identify. In other words, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs Agency got people to pay their taxes by putting in the letter, everyone else is doing it. For real. It worked to a degree of a nearly 30 percent increase. The small change in understanding made a great impact on an entire government's budget. Now we're not talking about budgets here. The kingdom of God began as a seed and the seed was Jesus Christ planted within the community of humanity. And the seed was nurtured in some places. And then the seed ultimately seemed to die. But by a mystery of God, the seed was resurrected and now grows without us understanding how 
And sometimes without us even being aware of it happening. When we see ourselves, the church, as the farmer in the parable, we're tempted, we're tempted to change our role from farmers to originators or creators of the seed. But we did not create, we did not originate the seed of the kingdom of God. The church's role is to propagate the kingdom. Our role as farmers is the scattering of the seed and the constant tending of the plants that grow so that the kingdom's roots can spread deeply and widely and that the plants can branch out and provide food and safety to all of God's children. As Christians, we are the biggest part of crowd theory of kingdom growth. As farmers, we don't really know all that's going on under or even above the soil. We can't always see what's happening in the growing process, and we are not responsible for the growing itself. We are called to participate in the process by working alongside of it. Our work is not the growth, but in providing a good environment for growth. When we try to grasp control of the whole process, we start to limit the where and the why and the how of the growth of the kingdom of God. And we try to promote ourselves to the role of the garden's creator. When we wrestle that kind of control, we lose our ability to revere God's awesome wonder and mystery. When we imagine ourselves as the garden creators instead of the garden tenders, we forget the underlying purpose of the garden in the first place. We forget the grace that made the garden possible at all. The kingdom of God is the garden of God's grace. And the kingdom was planted because God desired a kingdom garden. And the seeds have grown because of God's love, because he's provided the grace for them to grow. And the kingdom continues to grow because God wills its growth. Not because we, the church, are growing it, but because God, the creator, is growing it. As farmers, we are ready and willing assistance in God's greater garden plan. So as I'm thinking about this garden analogy um, or this garden parable, I was a leader at Vacation Bible School this week, and um, my daughter Grace and I led a group of preschoolers. And it was really, really fun. I had a great time, and when I agreed to do that and volunteered for that, I thought I was going to teach these kids. I was, I was going to tend the garden. And Kenny's laughing because he knows better. <laughs> he learned better this week. So I want to tell you the story of a young man that was in my preschool class. 
This young man that was in my preschool class this week, I kept looking at him the first day and I realized, hey, I know this young man because he was in my class at Christmas camp. And in my class at Christmas camp this year, he was really quiet and shy. He didn't want to wear his name tag. He didn't want to sit too close to me. He didn't want to engage with the other kids. And by the end of the week, he had kind of warmed up, and I felt like progress had been made, but I, I didn't know. And so this was the first time that I had seen this young man since Christmas camp. And my group was the Purple Dolphin group, and I even went to the zoo looking for a purple dolphin. But the best I could come up with was a pink dolphin. And uh, Jennifer Hem. Hemingway gave me this purple, this pink dolphin, and I named her Penelope. And I used Penelope at the end of each day when I wanted the kids to actually sit in the row, and they were tired and cranky. And Penelope was our friend that we could love and hug at the end of the day, and that we could um, share God's love with. And my group of kids really loved just holding and hugging Penelope. It was also really funny to watch them say Penelope. And so I had one young man who was rather attached to Penelope, and he didn't really want anyone else to give Penelope love. But my dear little friend from Christmas camp, as I, in my mind, am trying to figure out how I'm going to wrestle Penelope gently or redirect Penelope out of his hands after I've already tried several times, this, this young man from Christmas camp comes up and he says, hey, I see that you have Penelope and I see how much you really love Penelope. And you know what? We all love Penelope. Do you think it would be okay If you shared Penelope with all of us because we're your friends and we would like to show Penelope love too, and I promise we'll make sure that you get Penelope back and then we can share her all again. Now, mind you, I've wasted time arguing with this child. (laughs) And my little friend says these words and the kid goes, And I'm just standing there like, well, duh. (laughs) And thus, the first learning occurred. The second learning, and I'm sure there were so many more, um, occurred as we were outside the last night at games. And we were playing. And the idea was that the kids were going to do something as a team and work together. And they were all going to experience what it meant to work together as a team toward a goal. And so in partners, they were to carry a little item on a piece of paper down to a laundry basket and drop it in. And they were taking turns being partners, and we had an odd number, and the kids were working that all out by themselves, and the leaders are all standing behind shouting and encouraging them and giving them high fives when they're done. My little friend from Christmas camp after his third turn, comes back and he says, Miss Nikki, 
I see that you leaders haven't had a turn yet. I think I would like to be partners with you so that we could do this together. And I'm standing there going, okay. <laughs> and I finally managed to work with this child to take down to the end. I was no teacher this week. I learned from the smallest. And the seeds of grace continue to be planted and they continue to grow. And every single minute of every day, we have opportunities for awe and wonder at how those seeds grow. Sometimes we get caught up in the fear that surrounds us. The world wants us to be afraid. But we need not live in constant fear of a God who might be angry at us, lazy farmers, because we're not growing the kingdom. We need not speak a language of fear like the world speaks. Theologian Walter Brueggemann, in his book, A Gospel of Hope, says it like this, and I'll leave you with this quote. He says, The church speaks another word in such a context of fear. It is a word of preaching and living, of witnessing and acting, that we are unafraid and we invite the world to be unafraid with us. We are unafraid. The kingdom continues to grow. And we invite the world to be unafraid with us. Amen.